It's time. Time for what, you might ask? It's time to optimize your health and upgrade your life. Cutting-edge research, biohacks, ancestral wisdom, wellness, intuition, and more. This is The Synthesis of Wellness. Your host and biohacker Chloe Porter has a background in engineering, innovation, and research. Her analytical background coupled with her journey in overcoming a brain tumor and defeating several chronic illnesses enables her to approach health and wellness in an innovative way. And now more than ever, she is ready to share her biohacking secrets and expose cutting edge research. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. If you're new to the show, I am Chloe Porter, and I am so glad to have you on today. To start out, I just want to say the information in this episode is just so fascinating to me. I love explaining how the body works all the way down to the cellular level. So get ready because I love even more explaining how the mitochondria within our cells work to produce ATP, which is our cellular energy currency. So with that said, in case you didn't already figure, this episode is going to be centered on our mitochondria. But within our mitochondria, we are going to narrow our focus to a little molecule called NAD+ or nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. Okie dokie. So let's start out by diving into this molecule. What is NAD+, where is NAD+, how is NAD+, used by the body, why is NAD+, necessary, and what is the hype surrounding all of these NAD+, IVs we see at a variety of clinics and med spas all about. Yes, these are just some of the introductory questions we're going to address. We are going to dive into tons of other great stuff later on in the episode, but let's lay the groundwork first. Okay, so what exactly is NAD+. To answer that, we really first need to know what a coenzyme is. So in certain chemical reactions, we have what is called a substrate, an enzyme, and a coenzyme. The substrate is the molecule being acted upon, and the enzyme is basically facilitating this reaction. However, the enzyme is actually unable to facilitate the reaction without the help of a coenzyme in certain circumstances. So this coenzyme basically binds to the enzyme and activates it. Once activated, 
the full reaction can occur. Now, going back to NAD+, NAD+, and NADH, which is the reduced version of NAD+, reduced meaning uh, the NAD+, has gained electrons to be reduced. When something is reduced, it has gained electrons, and it's now NADH. So NAD+, and NADH work as coenzymes because they allow for the transfer of electrons to or from certain enzymes so that those enzymes can work on the substrate at hand. So that's how they work as coenzymes, through these um, electron transfers, basically. Now, in the case of glucose metabolism, let's walk through a series of steps to illustrate just how NAD plus and NADH act as coenzymes for the steps necessary to break down glucose and produce ATP. So again, there's a variety of fuels, right? We know there are fatty acids and amino acids, proteins, blah, 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 blah. But we're going to talk specifically about glucose and how glucose is broken down to produce ATP. And we're going to start out with a very general illustration. So say you eat food, right? Your digestive system works to break down that food into glucose molecules that are then absorbed into the bloodstream from your intestines. Now, the rise in blood glucose levels stimulates the release of insulin from the beta cells of your pancreas. It's important to remember here that glucose is hydrophilic, water-loving, and our cells are covered in a lipid bilayer cell membrane, so not always water-loving. So in order for glucose to get into those cells effectively, we need the help of what are called glucose transporters. So there are a variety of these so we're really just going to talk about one of them to keep uh, this story somewhat simple. And the one we're going to talk about is called GLUT4, G-L-U-T-4. This transporter is present in the cytoplasm of cells within little vesicles, and then it's translocated to the plasma cell membrane, the outside of the cell, upon the influence of insulin. So going back to our story, we've got glucose in the bloodstream. So then the pancreatic beta cells release insulin in response to that glucose in the bloodstream. Now the insulin that is also present in the bloodstream signals certain cells to move their GLUT4 transporter molecule from that cytoplasm to the cell membrane. And there is where that transporter can help get glucose from the outside of the cell into the cell. So from the blood to in, inside of the cells, right? Okay, so now that glucose is within the cell, more specifically, it's in the fluid portion of the cytoplasm, which is called the cytosol. Here's where many different chemical reactions and things can happen, okay? So 
when it comes to glucose, glucose can be stored or it can be used to make energy, so on and so forth. So we're going to continue our story by examining what happens to glucose when it's in the cell and ready to be used for energy, like right away. This would be when glycolysis or the breakdown of glucose occurs. We're not going to go through every single one of the different molecular conversions or chemical reactions, nor are we going to examine each one of the enzymes that facilitates those molecular conversions or, or reactions. Um, but the only one I really want to focus on is an enzyme called glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate dehydrogenase. Okay, that's a mouthful. But just know, this enzyme, it's used about halfway through the glycolysis process. But this enzyme needs the help of, lo and behold, NAD+, in order for glycolysis to continue. So NAD+, would be considered the coenzyme in that step. Okay, so zooming out, the big picture of glycolysis is that we start with glucose and end with two molecules of what is called pyruvate. And during the different conversions that occur as we go from glucose to pyruvate, different enzymes are needed. And one of these enzymes also needs the help of NAD+. And as NAD+, is utilized, we are left with a molecule called NADH at the end of glycolysis. And remember, as we mentioned earlier, NADH is the reduced version of NAD+. So it makes sense that as NAD plus is used as a coenzyme, we are left with NADH at the end. Okay, moving right along. Now, where do these pyruvate go? Well, under aerobic conditions, meaning that oxygen is available, these pyruvate enter the mitochondria from the cytosol, where they undergo the Krebs cycle after first being converted to acetyl-CoA. Here again, in the Krebs cycle, there are multiple steps and multiple enzymes used to facilitate these steps. And here again, we see that NAD plus is used to help some of these enzymes do their work within the TCA or Krebs cycle. So now we've got even more NADH since that NAD plus was used, right? As a coenzyme. With all of these newly formed NADH molecules, we take our journey from the inside of the mitochondria to the inner mitochondrial membrane that surrounds the mitochondria. This is where these NADH molecules can donate electrons to what is called the electron transport chain in order to ultimately pump out ATP. So again, that electron transport chain, sometimes abbreviated ETC, is located in that mitochondrial membrane. And so these NADH molecules are donating electrons to the electron transport chain that is within that mitochondrial membrane in order to ultimately pump out ATP. And to illustrate this just a little bit more, each NADH that is utilized will ultimately and 
ideally, in an ideal situation, yield three ATP molecules. So one molecule of glucose through the glycolysis, through the Krebs cycle, through all that good stuff, does not just yield three ATP molecules because one molecule of glucose yields several NADH molecules as a result of using that NAD plus as a coenzyme. So with all of that said, I know you are all very interested in the science behind how and why things work, and I really do appreciate that. So I really appreciate that you stuck with me through this kind of more intricate explanation of how the food we eat, digest, and absorb gets turned into ATP and relies on that NAD plus to facilitate many of those intermediate chemical reactions. Throughout all of this, okay, we talked about NAD plus and NADH, where NAD plus molecules were used to power our way through glycolysis and the Krebs cycle, and resulting NADH molecules were then used to power our way through oxidative phosphorylation within the electron transport chain in order to ultimately give us those ATP molecules. But, okay, what we really need to take a closer look at is the NAD plus to NADH ratio. Okay, if something inhibits the electron transport chain from working efficiently and effectively, the NAD plus to NADH ratio within the mitochondria specifically decreases since the NADH cannot be used by the electron transport chain and are therefore just building up and amassing. And so we get more NADH, but not the replenishment of the NAD plus. This is a problem since now the NAD plus used to run the Krebs cycle. Remember, NAD plus is a coenzyme that is used in both glycolysis and that Krebs cycle we just talked about. So since it's used in that Krebs cycle and now we're not replenishing it, we can't do our job. This will ultimately create a traffic jam, basically. Um, all starting from the electron transport chain having some issue where it's not working as well. Because then that NADH builds up, NAD plus is depleted, and then we don't have enough of that NAD plus to run the Krebs cycle, glycolysis, et cetera, so on and so forth, right? So what are some examples of things that inhibit the electron transport chain from working effectively. Just to name a few, because there are several, let's start with environmental toxins and pesticides. So again, you might already kind of think, yes, this makes sense, but let's explain why it makes sense because I think that further illustrates the picture of how these toxins and pesticides can really disrupt our body on the molecular level. So an herbicide called Paraquat, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's spelled P-A-R-A-Q-U-A-T. This herbicide inhibits mitochondrial complex one, which is just a, a little structure within the electron transport chain. Also consider uh, rotenone, R-O-T-E-N-O-N-E. This is an insecticide 
And this toxin inhibits complex one within the electron transport chain as well. Also consider a fungicide called manin. This inhibits complex three within the electron transport chain. Okay, so let's kind of move on from these environmental toxins and pesticides. And there are a lot more within this category. I just wanted to illustrate three of them. But another category includes a whole variety of drugs, including NSAIDs, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. These in particular can inhibit complex one of the electron transport chain. Let's also go ahead and bring reactive oxygen species into this conversation. Stick with me here because this gets a little bit dicey. So when the electron transport chain runs, some electrons can leak out of the electron transport chain rather than being directly transferred from NADH to the electron transport chain. When this leak happens, the electrons can react with oxygen to produce what are called reactive oxygen species. Now, of course, with a healthy mitochondria that produces a really minimal amount of reactive oxygen species and has an adequate supply of antioxidants, you know, like superoxide, dismutase, catalase, glutathione, um, even uh, ubiquinol, things like that, the reactive oxygen species will really be taken care of. That is, again, in the state of a healthy mitochondria that both produces a minimal amount of reactive oxygen species and has an adequate supply of antioxidants to take care of those reactive oxygen species. However, here's where things get bad. In states of inflammation, disease, infection, increased toxic burden, etc., we typically see higher reactive oxygen species production and a depletion of those antioxidant uh, defenses. This is, of course, when we run into the trouble I was just mentioning, because chronic reactive oxygen species exposure can result in oxidative damage to the mitochondria itself, like actual structural damage. And acute, just acute reactive oxygen species exposure can even inactivate complexes one, two, and three of the electron transport chain. This, of course, is going to disrupt the NAD plus to NADH ratio, just like those toxins and pesticides and drugs we were talking about. So all of this stuff is not good because disrupting that NAD plus to NADH ratio can be very detrimental. And we'll go over that more in just a little bit. So again, I've illustrated on the cellular and even molecular level how different toxins, drugs, reactive oxygen species, etc., can disrupt the NAD plus to NADH ratio. And again, this is a problem because as we discussed, we need both an optimal concentration of NAD plus and we also really need an optimal NAD plus to NADH ratio in order to utilize fuel and turn it into ATP for energy. And though we didn't really talk about it, we also need NAD plus for facilitating a variety of other reactions involved in things like cellular repair, gene expression. All of that stuff involves 
NAD+. So I'm not going to go through how NAD plus is used in those reactions in particular um, during today's episode, but I did want to mention them so you know that NAD plus is used for way more than just energy metabolism, though that is probably, you know, the most well-known and the heavy hitter. So with that said, I'm sure it makes a lot of sense that so many metabolic diseases are associated with a decline in NAD plus levels. Think obesity, diabetes, dyslipidemia, even non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, for example. And many studies show that NAD plus administration, somehow, you know, IV, whatever it is, actually helps to combat those states of metabolic dysfunction, which again, I'm sure makes sense to you guys. So, Now, there are also a variety of other illnesses that may lead to lower levels of NAD+, but truly, 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 any state of increased inflammation is going to be detrimental to NAD plus levels. So think bacterial and viral infections. These induce oxidative stress, which as we noted earlier, oxidative stress depletes NAD plus. And also, This is a little bit of a double-edged sword because um, NAD plus can also be diminished by the activation of an enzyme called CD38 that is required for the inflammation against these certain infections. And we'll talk about CD38 a little bit more later on, but just know um, whenever we get these infections and our body mounts an inflammatory response, that enzyme CD38 is involved most times. And that involvement depletes NAD+, because that enzyme breaks down NAD+. It literally breaks down NAD+. So on one hand, we have diminishing levels of NAD+, due to these infections and inflammatory illnesses. But on the other hand, a deficiency in NAD+, levels, or excuse me, a deficiency in NAD+, leaves the cell with less of an ability to generate the cellular energy it needs to combat that microbial infection. So it's like just a snowball effect, basically, of here we've got diminishing levels due to these infections, and now these diminishing levels are even more detrimental because now the cell isn't even producing enough cellular energy that can be used to combat the microbes, basically. And that, that's a very like basic way of putting it, but it really illustrates the point. With all that said, let's throw one more cog in here and talk about the fact that NAD plus also naturally decreases with aging. And many researchers, this is why many researchers are looking at NAD plus administration somehow, you know, for its therapeutic potential in helping to treat a variety of age-related neurodegenerative diseases, such as, you know, Alzheimer's even. Okay, okay, enough said. I'm very confident that you get the point here, but before moving on completely, let's just do a very quick recap. So I've illustrated how NAD plus is involved in energy metabolism, meaning 
that it's critical for turning fuel like glucose into ATP or cellular energy. I've also illustrated how some toxins, drugs, etc., can diminish the NAD plus to NADH ratio by interfering with that electron transport chain. I transitioned from there into another conversation explaining just how reactive oxygen species, if they're out of hand, can also deplete NAD plus levels. Then I wrapped it all up by talking about how inflammation, infection, metabolic dysfunction, and even just aging can all either lead to or are associated with lower levels of NAD+. And this ultimately leaves the cell in a dangerous, dangerous position. This is because we need that NAD+, for energy metabolism, aka ATP production, among other things, like as we talked about, you know, gene expression, different reactions. So with all of that said, I want to now go over some strategies for increasing and or preserving our NAD plus levels and maintaining an optimal NAD plus to NADH ratio. Then after that, and before we wrap up the episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about my thoughts on employing the use of NAD plus therapies or strategies for biotoxin illness like mold illness, also referred to as chronic inflammatory response syndrome. SIRS. So the first strategy is to focus on supplementing with NAD plus precursors. So in order to make more NAD plus, we need certain nutrients, of course. And throughout our discussion on this, throughout our discussion on this, it's really important to remember that Different precursors take different routes to synthesize NAD+. There's not just one synthesis route for NAD+. So with that said, what are some of these precursors? First, vitamin B3 or niacin, um, sometimes just abbreviated capital N, capital A, or nicotinic acid. Uh, Supplementing with this has been really famous, especially when you get it through an IV, like a a vitamin IV or something like that, it's been really famous for causing a flushing reaction. So you get like a kind of a hot flash. And I have personally gotten vitamin pushes and vitamin IVs and have definitely experienced that flushing reaction. So it is a real thing. Um, Then we also have nicotinamide, which is abbreviated capital N, capital A, capital M. This acts similarly to niacin, but often does not have that flushing reaction. We also have nicotinamide mononucleotide, so NMN. Then we have nicotinamide riboside, NR. And we even have tryptophan, which maybe that wouldn't initially uh, come to mind as an NAD plus precursor, but it is, and supplementation could be beneficial for increasing NAD plus levels. So let's go through some studies that evaluated the effects of these supplemental precursors on either obese or aging patients. So those are the two categories um, that this oral supplementation of the precursors was studied on. So in a study using models of obesity, you know, in participants who were overweight, NMN 
supplementation so that nicotinamide mononucleotide supplementation showed increased NAD plus production in both the liver and skeletal muscle. That's pretty cool. So that resulted in an increased glucose tolerance, increased insulin sensitivity, and even inflammation inhibition. That is huge. Honestly, that is huge. So let's keep going through these studies. So again, using another model of obesity, NR supplements, so that nicotinamide riboside precursor, so the NR supplements resulted in increased NAD production in the liver, skeletal muscle, brain, and adipose tissue. Some of the results of this increase in NAD plus were enhanced insulin sensitivity and glucose tolerance, improved metabolic flexibility, decreased lipid deposition, and even decreased weight gain, which is another huge claim. So now looking at another model of obesity, but we're looking at NAM, nicotinamide, supplements. In this study, researchers saw improved NAD plus production in the liver, resulting in improved glucose tolerance. Okay, so all those were models of obesity. Let's switch our gears from the model of obesity and look at the other model that we have um, at our fingertips as far as the studies go. So this study was performed in participants who were aging. The study used NMN supplementation, so that nicotinamide mononucleotide precursor. And what they found was an increase in NAD plus production in the liver and the skeletal muscle, which again resulted in improved insulin sensitivity and even, get this, an inhibition of age-induced weight gain. Okay, so now, among these, researchers do seem to think that NR and NMN, so we've got nicotinamide ribeside, NR, and NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide, are the two most efficient oral supplement precursors for when it comes to increasing NAD plus production within our tissue. Okay, with all of that said, let's go ahead and move on to strategy number two. Here, we're really going to talk about nutrients that inhibit the CD38 enzyme. If you remember just a bit ago when we were talking about inflammation, we talked about the fact that CD38 is highly expressed in inflammatory states. And we explained that the fact that this enzyme breaks down NAD+. So inhibiting CD38 may really help to preserve these NAD plus levels. So what are some of these nutrients that we're talking about that specifically inhibit the action of CD38? Which I will note, uh, some people like to refer to that enzyme as NADase because it breaks down NAD. So the first nutrient we're going to talk about is apigenin. Apigenin is a flavonoid and it's present in vegetables like parsley especially, celery, onions, um, even fruits like oranges, and herbs like chamomile, thyme, oregano, and basil. 
One study has shown that apigenin inhibits CD38, thus increasing NAD plus levels. Okay? This same study, as a result, noticed improved glucose and lipid homeostasis in obese mice. So that's pretty cool. So also important to note here is that some people supplement with resveratrol when taking a supplemental version of apigenin in order to enhance the bioavailability of that apigenin. Moving on to the next one in this kind of CD38 enzyme inhibition category is quercetin. I'm sure you've heard of quercetin, but it is another flavonoid with potent antioxidant properties belonging to the polyphenol class of plant compounds, again. And it is actually naturally present in foods like onions, apples, berries, citrus fruits, and leafy vegetables. So you see a little bit of overlap in some of the foods that contain quercetin and apigenin, which is pretty cool as well. Okay. Now, there are some others in this category, but I would say quercetin and apigenin are the two big ones here, and they're the two to really be aware of. So let's go ahead and move on to strategy number three. NAD plus IVs or NAD plus transdermal patches. Okay, I don't think I really need to explain this strategy too much, but we'll just talk a little briefly. And I'll mention that NAD plus IVs can get super pricey, honestly. Um, and NAD plus patches are really kind of a happy medium between just like oral supplements and NAD plus IVs. So yeah, those, those patches are significantly less pricey than the IVs. But again, it's do you go supplement route? Um, maybe you go the CD8, CD38 inhibitor supplement route. Maybe you go the precursor supplement route. Or maybe you go straight to an NAD plus IV. Or you do that kind of happy medium and you're like, I will settle for the NAD plus patches that just go on your skin and absorb that way. Okay, so moving on to strategy number four. This is intermittent fasting. Okay, this is super well known. Um, I'm not really going to talk about that too much because it is very well known. So I will move on to strategy number five, which is also very well known. And this is exercise. Now, I know you might be thinking some of these are just good practices, and yes, they absolutely are. However, um, studies also show increased NAD plus levels as a result of exercise. So I always like to see the data to prove everything. That's just me, and I think I appreciate that you listening do as well. We love to see data. So with that said, let's go through strategy six which includes a variety of lifestyle factors, aside from just that intermittent fasting and exercise, that may not be as well known in relation to, you know, preserving or increasing NAD plus levels within the body. So, other specific lifestyle factors. Reduce toxic exposure. Increase antioxidant consumption. Prioritize sleep. Watch those blood glucose levels. We don't want to be on a glucose roller coaster. Find and eliminate any root causes of inflammation lurking within the body. 
eliminate alcohol consumption. Okay, there are clearly some others, but those are the ones that immediately came to my mind as far as, you know, making sure our mitochondria are not producing crazy amounts of reactive oxygen species, making sure there aren't toxins that are interfering with our mitochondria's ability to produce ATP and then create all these imbalances with our NAD+. So things like that. Okay, we went over a lot in this episode and I just kind of finished it off with a bit of an NAD plus toolkit, but there's honestly a lot more to cover with regards to NAD plus and its balance in the body. So, so with that said, just know I will probably revisit this topic and talk a little bit more about some of the other um, science behind NAD plus uses within the body, aside from just energy metabolism, perhaps. But before we wrapped up the episode completely, I did want to talk about that biotoxin interest of mine. So some of my previous interest in NAD plus stemmed from the fact that mold illness can result in hypoxia to the cells. Okay. So when cells don't receive enough oxygen, that oxidative phosphorylation that, you know, occurs in the electron transport chain we were talking about earlier, it comes to a halt. And what happens when that comes to a halt? As we said, NADH piles up and NAD plus is depleted. So basically what I'm saying is that SIRS, or chronic inflammatory response syndrome, commonly used to describe mold illness, starves the cells of oxygen. And this consequently depletes NAD+. This is why I used some of the strategies we just talked about to start restoring my NAD plus levels way back when and to give my cells you know, a better chance at producing ATP more efficiently and therefore allowing my body to have the energy it really desperately needed to recover from chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS. So with all of that said, Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. I think that is a good place to wrap up this episode. And if you liked this episode in particular or found it helpful, please screenshot, share it to your stories over on Instagram and tag me in it. I'd love to personally thank you for listening. And if you'd like to support the podcast over on Spotify or Apple, please feel free to leave a rating and review. That always helps and is greatly appreciated. Again, thank you guys so very much for tuning in, and I really cannot wait to see you in the next one. Bye, guys. The content provided by the Synthesis of Wellness LLC via its podcast and domain is for informational purposes only and should not be used as medical advice or as a replacement for medical care. The Synthesis of Wellness podcast, synthesisofwellness.com, the Synthesis of Wellness LLC, and Chloe Porter disclaim responsibility from adverse effects resulting from using the content provided. Please seek and consult a licensed physician for your health and medical needs. Furthermore, Chloe Porter and the Synthesis of Wellness podcast are not responsible for the opinions of guests featured on the podcast.